Paragraphs 1 through 7 of Contra Gentes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Against the Heathen by Athanasius of Alexandria. Part 1. 1. Introduction. The purpose of this book, a vindication of Christian doctrine, and especially of the cross, against the scoffing objection of Gentiles. The effects of this doctrine, its main vindication. The knowledge of our religion and of the truth of things is independently manifest, rather than in need of human teachers. For almost day by day it asserts itself by facts, and manifests itself brighter than the sun by the doctrine of Christ. Still, as you nevertheless desire to hear about it, Macarius, come, let us, as we may be able, set forth a few points of the faith of Christ. Able though you are to find it out from the divine oracles, but yet generously desiring to hear from others as well. For although the sacred and inspired scriptures are sufficient to declare the truth, while there are other works of our blessed teachers compiled for this purpose, if he meet with which a man will gain some knowledge of the interpretation of the scriptures, and be able to learn what he wishes to know. Still, as we have not at present in our hands the compositions of our teachers, we must communicate in writing to you what we learn from them, the faith, namely, of Christ the Saviour. Lest any should hold cheap the doctrine taught among us, or think faith in Christ unreasonable. For this is what the Gentiles traduce and scoff at, and laugh loudly at us, insisting on the one fact of the cross of Christ. And it is just here that one must pity their want of sense. Because when they traduce the cross of Christ, they do not see that its power has filled all the world, and that by it the effects of the knowledge of God are made manifest to all. For they would not have scoffed at such a fact, had they too been men who genuinely gave heed to his divine nature. On the contrary, they in their turn would have recognized this man as Saviour of the world, and that the cross has been not a disaster but a healing of creation. For if, after the cross, all idolatry was overthrown, while every manifestation of demons is driven away by this sign, and Christ alone is worshipped and the Father known through him, and, while gainsayers are put to shame, he daily and visibly wins over the souls of these gainsayers, how, one might fairly ask them, is it still open to us to regard the matter as human, instead of confessing that he who ascended the cross is word of God and Saviour of the world. But these men seem to me quite as bad as one who should traduce the sun when covered by clouds, while yet wondering at his light, seeing how the whole of creation is illumined by him. For as the light is noble, and the sun the chief cause of the light is nobler still, so as it is a divine thing for the whole world to be filled with his knowledge, it follows that the orderer and chief cause of such an achievement is God, and the word of God. We speak, then, as lies within our power, first refuting the ignorance of the unbelieving, so that what is false being refuted, the truth may then shine forth of itself, and that you yourself, friend, may be reassured that you have believed what is true, and in coming to know Christ have not been deceived. Moreover, I think it becoming to discourse to you, as a lover of Christ, about Christ, since I am sure that you rate faith in and knowledge of him above 
anything else whatsoever. 2. Evil, no part of the essential nature of things. The original creation and constitution of man in grace, and in the knowledge of God. In the beginning wickedness did not exist, nor indeed does it exist even now in those who are holy, nor does it in any way belong to their nature. But men later on began to contrive it, and to elaborate it to their own hurt. Whence also they devised the invention of idols, treating what was not as though it were. For God, maker of all and king of all, that has his being beyond all substance and human discovery, inasmuch as he is good and exceeding noble, made through his own word our Saviour Jesus Christ, the human race, after his own image, and constituted man able to see and know realities by means of this assimilation to himself, giving him also a conception and knowledge even of his own eternity, in order that, preserving his nature intact, he might not ever either depart from his idea of God, nor recoil from the communion of the holy ones. But having the grace of him that gave it, having also God's own power from the word of the Father, he might rejoice and have fellowship with the Deity, living the life of immortality, unharmed and truly blessed. For having nothing to hinder his knowledge of the Deity, he ever beholds by his purity the image of the Father, God the Word, after whose image he himself is made. He is awestruck as he contemplates that providence which through the Word extends to the universe, being raised above the things of sense and every bodily appearance, but cleaving to the divine and thought-perceived things in the heavens by the power of his mind. For when the mind of men does not hold converse with bodies, nor has mingled with it from without aught of their lust, but is wholly above them, dwelling with itself as it was made to begin with, then, transcending the things of sense and all things human, it is raised up on high. And seeing the Word, it sees in Him also the Father of the Word, taking pleasure in contemplating Him, and gaining renewal by its desire toward Him, exactly as the first of men created, the one who was named Adam in Hebrew, is described in the Holy Scriptures as having at the beginning had his mind to Godward in a freedom unembarrassed by shame, and as associating with the Holy Ones in that contemplation of things perceived by the mind which he enjoyed in the place where he was, the place which the Holy Moses called in a figure a garden. So purity of soul is sufficient of itself to reflect God. As the Lord also says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 3. The decline of man from the above condition, owing to his absorption in material things. Thus, then, as we have said, the Creator fashioned the race of men, and thus meant it to remain. But men, making light of better things, and holding back from apprehending them, began to seek in preference things nearer to themselves. But nearer to themselves were the body and its senses so that while removing their mind from the things perceived by thought, they begin to regard themselves, and so doing, and holding to the body and the other things of sense, and deceived as it were in their own surroundings, they fell into lust of themselves, preferring what was their own to the contemplation of what belonged to God. 
having then made themselves at home in these things, and not being willing to leave what was so near to them, they entangled their soul with bodily pleasures, vexed and turbid with all kind of lusts, while they wholly forgot the power they originally had from God. But the truth of this one may see from the man who was first made, according to what the holy scriptures tell us of him. For he also, as long as he kept his mind to God, and the contemplation of God, turned away from the contemplation of the body. But when, by counsel of the serpent, he departed from the consideration of God, and began to regard himself, then they not only fell to bodily lust, but knew that they were naked, and knowing were ashamed. But they knew that they were naked not so much of clothing, as that they were become stripped of the contemplation of divine things, and had transferred their understanding to the contraries. For having departed from the consideration of the one and the true, namely God, and from desire of Him, they had thenceforward embarked in diverse lusts and in those of the several bodily senses. Next, as is apt to happen, having formed a desire for each and sundry, they began to be habituated to these desires, so that they were even afraid to leave them, whence the soul became subject to cowardice, and alarms, and pleasures, and thoughts of mortality. For not being willing to leave her lusts, she fears death and her separation from the body. But again, from lusting and not meeting with gratification, she learned to commit murder and wrong. We are then led naturally to show, as best we can, how she does this. 4. The gradual abasement of the soul from truth to falsehood by the abuse of her freedom of choice. Having departed from the contemplation of the things of thought, and using to the full the several activities of the body, and being pleased with the contemplation of the body, and seeing that pleasure is good for her, she was misled and abused the name of good, and thought that pleasure was the very essence of good, just as though a man out of his mind, and asking for a sword to use against all he met, were to think that soundness of mind. But having fallen in love with pleasure, she began to work it out in various ways. For being by nature mobile, even though she have turned away from what is good, she yet does not lose her mobility. She moves, then, no longer according to virtue, or so as to see God, but imagining false things, she makes a novel use of her power, abusing it as a means to the pleasures she has devised, since she is, after all, made with power over herself. For she is able, as on the one hand, to incline to what is good, so on the other, to reject it. But in rejecting the good, she of course entertains the thought of what is opposed to it, for she cannot at all cease from movement, being, as I said before, mobile by nature. And knowing her own power over herself, she sees that she is able to use the members of her body in either direction, both toward what is and toward what is not. But good is, while evil is not. By what is, then, I mean what is good, inasmuch as it has its pattern in God who is. But by what is not, I mean what is evil, in so far as it consists in a false imagination in the thoughts of men. For though the body has eyes so as to see creation, and by its entirely harmonious construction to recognize the Creator, and ears to listen to the divine oracles and the laws of God, 
and hands both to perform works of necessity and to raise to God in prayer. Yet the soul, departing from the contemplation of what is good and from moving in its sphere, wanders away and moves toward its contraries. Then seeing, as I said before, and abusing her power, she has perceived that she can move the members of the body also in an opposite way. And so, instead of beholding the creation, she turns the eye to lusts, showing that she has this power too, and thinking that by the mere fact of moving she is maintaining her own dignity and is doing no sin in doing as she pleases, not knowing that she is made not merely to move, but to move in the right direction. For this is why an apostolic utterance assures us, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. 5. Evil, then, consists essentially in the choice of what is lower in preference to what is higher. But the audacity of men, having regard not to what is expedient and becoming, but to what is possible for it, began to do the contrary. Whence, moving their hands to the contrary, it made them commit murder, and led away their hearing to disobedience, and their other members to adultery, instead of to lawful procreation and the tongue, instead of right speaking, to slander and insult and perjury, the hands again to stealing and striking fellow men, and the sense of smell to many sorts of lascivious odors, the feet to be swift to shed blood, and the belly to drunkenness and insatiable gluttony, all of which are a vice and sin of the soul. Neither is there any cause of them at all, but only the rejection of better things. For just as if a charioteer, having mounted his chariot on the race-course, were to pay no attention to the goal toward which he should be driving, but, ignoring this, simply were to drive the horse as he could, or, in other words, as he would, and often drive against those he met, and often down steep places, rushing wherever he impelled himself by the speed of the team, thinking that thus running he has not missed the goal, for he regards the running only and does not see that he has passed wide of the goal. So the soul, too, turning from the way toward God and driving the members of the body beyond what is proper, or rather driven herself along with them by her own doing, sins and makes mischief for herself, not seeing that she has strayed from the way and has swerved from the goal of truth, to which the Christ-bearing man, the blessed Paul, was looking when he said, I press on toward the goal, unto the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus, so that the holy man, making the good his mark, never did what was evil. 6. False views of the nature of evil, namely, that evil is something in the nature of things, and has substantive existence. a. Heathen thinkers, evil resides in matter, their refutation. b. Heretical teachers, dualism. REFUTATION FROM SCRIPTURE Now certain of the Greeks, having erred from the right way, and not having known Christ, have ascribed to evil a substantive and independent existence. In this they make a double mistake, either in denying the Creator to be maker of all things, if evil had an independent subsistence and being of its own, or again, if they mean that He is maker of all things, they will of necessity admit him to be maker of evil also. For evil, according to them, is included among existing things. 
But this must appear paradoxical and impossible. For evil does not come from good, nor is it in or the result of good, since in that case it would not be good, being mixed in its nature, or a cause of evil. But the sectaries, who have fallen away from the teaching of the church and made shipwreck concerning the faith, they also wrongly think that evil has a substantive existence. But they arbitrarily imagine another God besides the true one, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is the unmade producer of evil, and the head of wickedness, who is also artificer of creation. But these men one can easily refute, not only from the divine scriptures, but also from the human understanding itself, the very source of these their insane imaginations. To begin with, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ says in his own Gospels confirming the words of Moses, The Lord God is one, and I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. But if God is one, and at the same time Lord of heaven and earth, how could there be another God beside him? Or what room will there be for the God whom they suppose, if the one true God fills all things in the compass of heaven and earth? Or how could there be another creator of that whereof, according to the Saviour's utterance, the God and Father of Christ is himself Lord? Unless, indeed, they would say that it were, so to speak, in an equipoise, and the evil God capable of getting the better of the good God. But if they say this, see to what a pitch of impiety they descend. For when powers are equal, the superior and better cannot be discovered. For if the one exist, even if the other will it not, both are equally strong and equally weak. Equally, because the very existence of either is a defeat of the other's will. Weak, because what happens is counter to their wills. For while the good God exists in spite of the evil one, the evil God exists equally in spite of the good. 7. Refutation of dualism from reason. Impossibility of two gods. The truth as to evil is that which the church teaches, that it originates and resides in the perverted choice of the darkened soul. More especially they are exposed to the following reply. If visible things are the work of the evil god, what is the work of the good god? For nothing is to be seen except the work of the artificer. Or what evidence is there that the good god exists at all if there are no works of his by which he may be known? For by his works the artificer is known. Or how could two principles exist contrary one to another? Or what is it that divides them, for them to exist apart? For it is impossible for them to exist together, because they are mutually destructive. But neither can the one be included in the other, their nature being unmixed and unlike. Accordingly, that which divides them will eventually be of a third nature, and itself God. But of what nature could this third something be, good or evil? It will be impossible to determine, for it cannot be of the nature of both. This conceit of theirs, then, being evidently rotten, the truth of the Church's theology must be manifest, that evil has not from the beginning been with God or in God, nor has any substantive existence, but that men, in default of the vision of good, began to devise and imagine for themselves what was not, after their own pleasure. 
For as if a man, when the sun is shining, and the whole earth illumined by his light, were to shut fast his eyes and imagine darkness where no darkness exists, and then walk wandering as if in darkness, often falling and going down steep places, thinking it was dark and not light. For imagining that he sees, he does not see at all. So too the soul of man, shutting fast her eyes, by which she is able to see God, has imagined evil for herself, and moving therein, knows not that, thinking she is doing something, she is doing nothing, for she is imagining what is not nor is she abiding in her original nature, but what she is is evidently the product of her own disorder. For she is made to see God, and to be enlightened by Him, but of her own accord in God's stead she has sought corruptible things in darkness. As the Spirit says somewhere in writing, God made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Thus it has been then that men, from the first, discovered and contrived and imagined evil for themselves. But it is now time to say how they came down to the madness of idolatry, that you may know that the invention of idols is wholly due not to good but to evil. But what has its origin in evil can never be pronounced good in any point, being evil altogether. End of paragraph 7